This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I read a story a number of years ago. Uh, I never forgot it. It was about a little parakeet named Chippy. True story. You know, parakeets are kind of happy birds. They just kind of bounce around, do their little singing, happy. We had a canary growing up, but that, that bird could sing. But Chippy was just a happy little bouncy singy bird until one day when his owner was uh, cleaning his cage. And she decided to take a shortcut. She had the vacuum cleaner out and she took the nozzle off. She put the vacuum cleaner inside Chippy's cage to, to clean out all the bird stuff. And um, the telephone rang and just out of habit, she turned and when she turned, she turned the nozzle up. And Chippy kind of went, <laughs> sucked him right into the hose. She screamed and cut the vacuum cleaner off and opened the bag. And sure enough, there's Chippy. He's just covered in dust. So she grabbed him, ran upstairs, went to the bathroom, cut the cold water on full blast and stuck Chippy under the, the, the faucet, just hosed him down, cold water, cleaned him completely off. Now the little bird is shivering. So she takes her hair dryer and she blows... <laughs> She blows Chippy completely dry. <laughs> Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> Chippy lost his song. And when I read that story, I thought, you know, somewhere between childhood and adults, we lose our song. You know, with these, with these little kids, <laughs> they're cute. And you know, if we'd have put music on down here, some of them, the, old, the ones old enough, they just started dancing. You know, kids, there's a happy... But somewhere along the lines, we lose our song. And there's something I want to talk about today that I think causes us to lose our song quicker than anything else, and that's anxiety and anxious thoughts. We've been doing a series called The Minefield, and today I want to talk about overcoming anxious thoughts. Because you talk about stealing your song, that'll do it. But the good news is, thank God we don't have to live with anxious thoughts. We don't have to live overburdened by anxiety. Now, maybe you've been told that you had to be that way. Maybe you've been told your whole family's that way and it is your destiny. I believe when you make Jesus your Lord, you get a brand new family and you get a new destiny. And your new destiny means that the things that plague me in the past don't have to plague me in the future. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So we're going to talk about that this morning. How can you overcome anxious thoughts? But anxiety has become a major problem in our country. We do biblical counseling here on Tuesday nights. It's free. It's available to anyone. And if you'd like to, to call, if you would make an appointment, you can come in and talk with someone. We're going to give you counseling out of the scriptures. The number two is either number two or three reason that people come in is anxiety. And it's just, it, it's everywhere. Anxiety also is, is, is just connected to more health problems. And they continue to find that stress and anxiety, it just, man, it just causes all problems, the kind of problems in our body. Janet Gallo told about her sister, Julie, who was not feeling good one day, came into the, opened the family medicine cabinet, grabbed a thermometer and just plopped it in her mouth. Her mother looked at her and, and went, um, Julie, that's the, that's the dog's thermometer. <laughs> and Julie immediately spit it out. She went, ew, you mean this was in Fitzy's mouth?
Mom hesitated for a little bit and said, well, not exactly. <laughs> now you can worry. Uh, but anxiety tied into health problems, so many things. And then what we're finding out today is that anxiety has become such a norm. Right now they say on our college campuses, it's anxiety. They say our young people deal with anxiety, that anxiety and, and the, the problems caused by anxiety eclipses even depression today as things that we deal with. And oftentimes people have just said, well, it's just, it's just life. It's life in America. You're, you're going to be anxious. You're going to be, you're going to be full of anxiety. I don't believe it has to be that way. In fact, I believe what Jesus said. And if, we, if we're believers in him, he's given us an advantage over anxiety. What he said here, here's a promise from him in John the 14th chapter. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus, this is a promise from him. And he's saying that we can have a peace. Now he said, I'm going to give you peace, but it's not like the world gives peace. We say, well, how does the world give peace? The world gives peace by everything being calm. Nothing going on that's, that's, that's bad. This is why we fight like crazy to get everything done before we go on vacation so we can have a few days of peace. And we're like, man, I am so glad. I don't know about you, but I would go on vacation and I would enjoy the first few days, but about Friday or Saturday when I knew it was about to end, the anxiety started to ramp up because I know I'm coming back to the same problem. And so the world, when it gives peace, it gives peace by either everything being calm or they look for it artificially. And you'll see people who will abuse alcohol or abuse drugs oftentimes simply trying to find peace. But Jesus said there's a different kind of peace. And it's a peace that comes from the inside out. He said, I'm going to give you peace. When Jesus would talk, he would often talk about things that are reality for us spiritually. And so he's saying, spiritually, this is your heritage. This belongs to you. It's your inheritance that you have the same kind of peace that he had. Now, don't discount that and go, well, that's impossible. Jesus is the one who said it, I believe his words. And so as we hold on to what he said, we realize we can have a peace. But he said something here. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Indicating that we have a say-so and, and how anxious thoughts and things that we just allow in our hearts, we have a say-so in not allowing them in our hearts. And what we realize is we often have to change our thought patterns and habits. This, this morning when you came to church, many of you as you got dressed, you, you got dressed almost automatically without even thinking about it. We tend to button our shirt the same way, put on our socks and shoes the same way. We tend to do things the same way. We've developed, we've developed physical habits and patterns you know, you can do the same thing with your thoughts. You can have certain thoughts that just kind of go the same way. And if you thought the same way all the time, it, it can be a challenge to begin to shift to that. But thank God we have, some, we have some advantages there and we have some ability to do it. Joy and I both, when we were married, both of us dealt with anxiety. I was a worrier. She had anxiety attacks and, and it was pretty severe. Her, her attacks would be severe. And she started doing something. She said that when she would have these anxiety attacks, they would help her. She started reading her Bible out loud. I had just recently gotten reconnected with the Lord, and we were in church, and we realized that that was helping us. But she would read her Bible out loud, and she said just reading the Bible out loud, it just was helping. What's interesting that during the pandemic last year, the American Bible Society and Harvard Program for Human Flourishing Combined. I don't know how the American Bible Society and Harvard got together, but they did. And they, they did a study of 2,000 people six months apart. And here's what they found out that was fascinating. They found out that people who read their Bibles had more hope 
during the middle of last year, which we all remember how negative things were, they had more hope than people that didn't read their Bible. And they begin to, they begin to put a focus on that and they said, okay, here's a score from one, one being no hope to 100 being the most hopeful. And I mean hope, I'm not talking about wishing, I'm talking about a positive expectation. If you're expecting something really good, you're not anxious. We're anxious about the things that haven't happened yet, but we're not expecting good. You're not, you're not sitting there going, I am just, I know that tomorrow's gonna be such a wonderful day and I am, I am so anxious about it. No, you're not anxious about that. You're anxious about what tomorrow may hold that's not good. So someone who has hope is believing that there's good things that are gonna happen, they're hopeful. So they asked, they asked, they did this poll. They found that people who read their Bible three to four times a year scored 42 on that hope scale, one to 100. People who read their Bible every month scored 55 on the hope scale. People who read their Bible and weekly, once a week, 66 on the hope scale. And people who read their Bible multiple times during the week which had to have been some of you reading your Bible 365 plan, scored a 75 on the hope scale. And Harvard, the guy who headed up the, the study for Harvard said, it is obvious that church, and he was talking about people who read their Bibles were all talking about the community that they had in church and the, and the, and the hope that they had there. He said that church is vitally important to people's well-being. This is Harvard. What happened? Why does reading your Bible help you? How does it reduce anxiety? How does it raise hope? Because when you read the scriptures, you're reading God's thoughts. When you read the Bible, Bible, God, in, in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, he's speaking for God, he said, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways, my thoughts are higher. So you begin to read God's thoughts and God's thoughts are, it's possible. God's thoughts are, there's hope. God's thoughts are, it can happen. God's thoughts are he's the master and the creator of the universe. And if he's on your side, there's hope for ahead of us. God's thoughts are that way. So you begin to read that and you're putting God's thoughts, which are not negative, they're in you. And there's another reason there. As you begin to read the Bible, Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You're reading the Bible. What you're doing is you're getting stronger. Whether you recognize it or not, you're getting stronger spiritually. And that's where that peace is. The stronger you are spiritually, the stronger you are to walk in everything that Jesus has promised us. And he promised us his peace. So there's some advantages that we have being a believer. Now, let me tell you a story in the Bible. And I'll read this to you. This is a story of a man who really went through, an, and I would call it an explosively anxious situation. And we're going to find out from him that there are some principles that we can begin to practice in our own life and they'll help us too. It's found in Mark chapter five. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she'll live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. If you can picture this, Jesus is, is there. There's huge crowds of people around him. And there's just a multitude. They're all trying to crowd around him and touch him. And the ruler of the synagogue begins to come through the crowd. Now, the ruler of the synagogue was a powerful person. That crowd parted from him. 
And he came to Jesus, and he was a powerful man. He was a, he was a ruler. He was used to having people obey him. He fell at Jesus' feet in a sign of humility. And he asked Jesus something. He said, would you come? He believed Jesus was an answer to his problem. And you heard it in his, in his request. Lord, my daughter's sick, but if you'll come lay your hands on her, she'll be healed. She'll live. And Jesus went with him. So, man, we're off to a good start. He's made a request. He and Jesus are going to the house. But then the situation gets bad. I mean, he's already anxious. If your child is sick, you know how you feel. Now it's already anxious, but then the situation goes from bad to worse. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. Can you imagine? You're, you're walking with Jesus. He's coming. You've got an answer. And he had two, two things that, that hit him. Jairus. Two things that hit Jairus. First one was a delay. Here he's, he's walking with Jesus. And I skipped some verses in this chapter. But in between the time that Jairus asked Jesus to come with him and Jesus is walking. There was a lady who was sick. She had a hemorrhaging problem and she came and received healing from Jesus. And Jesus stopped in the crowd and turned around and said, who touched me? And, and now here's Jairus. Your child is at the point of death. How many of you know? I'm a person that tends to, I have to really dial it down when things go slow. When people get in my personal lane, uh, on the highway, which is the left lane, which I own. <laughs> and then they go slow. That Man, that irritates me when people are slow in line or people are trying to explain something. I, I have to watch it because I'm just like, you know, I'm tapping my foot trying to be pastoral. <laughs> but could you imagine if your daughter's dying and now Jesus has stopped and he's talking to this lady and you want to go, Jesus, because the Bible said that the lady came and told him the whole story, the whole story. <laughs> that means she started at the very beginning and she went all the way through and Jesus is sitting there calmly and I bet Jairus is, I bet the anxiety levels are starting to rise up in him. Then he sees people coming from his house and the look on their face tells him everything he needs to know. That's the worst news you ever need to get. Your daughter is dead. Could you imagine the grief and the anxiety and the tendency to panic that would have taken place right there and just to look at Jesus and just run and run home to hold your daughter, to be with your family? Man, that had to be tough. But Jesus did something very interesting. Jesus gave him at face value almost what I would call impossible instructions. As soon as he heard the word, Jesus looked at Jairus and said, don't be afraid, only believe. Now listen, I believe Jesus was completely fair 
I believe Jesus never did anything. He never sinned. Neither did he ever ask us to do something we could not do. When he looked at Jairus and said, don't be afraid, only believe, he indicated that Jairus had a choice. And his choice was to stay connected to Jesus, just to stay with him and resist the fear and the anxiety trying to rise up in his life or to break and run and go home. Jairus made a, a wise decision. It doesn't tell us what he said. It just said he stayed with Jesus. When they get there to the house, Jairus is sticking with Jesus and it actually caused him to go countercultural with his society. At that day, the, the mourners, many people they said that wept and mourned, that day wealthy families would hire people to come in and mourn. So you had paid mourners, people who would show up at your funeral and mourn and wail. And that was just part of their culture. And Jesus steps in the middle of that and goes, hey guys, why, why are y'all making all this noise? I mean, there's relatives there and they're crying. And everybody's crying. The mourners are mourning. And Jesus goes, oh, she's sleeping. And they look at him and they, and they shift from being mourners to scorners, and they begin to ridicule him. Didn't bother Jesus at all. The Bible said when he put them all outside, you know he couldn't have run all that group outside without having Jairus back him up on that. Because he's putting them all outside, and you know they had to be looking at Jairus going, Jairus, you gonna, you gonna let this happen? And Jairus is like, I'm with him, out you go. But Jairus and his wife, because they stayed with Jesus, they stayed connected, they stayed hooked. Because they resisted the fear, they resisted the urgency to panic and to go off just into anxiety. They're the ones that walked away with the 12-year-old daughter who was healed and well. What a wonderful story. So well, that's a great story, Alan. Can we learn anything from that story? Absolutely. That's why it's there. It's to remind us of some of the things that we can do. And so what I'm going to give you this morning are simply principles. It's not a one, two, three step. It's a principle that as you begin to practice this in your life, listen, you say, well, you know, I tried that once and it didn't work. Don't try it once. It's a principle. You begin to practice it. You know, I tried kissing once and the first time I ever kissed a girl, it didn't work well. It was real awkward. <laughs> but I made a decision. Kissing is good. <laughs> I'm going to stay with it till I get it right. Other things work like that too. You just... This is going to be good. I'm going to stay with it till I get it right. Let me tell you something. Anything that God tells us to do in his word is going to be good. We just need to stay with it till we get it right. And so here's some things. Here's some principles that all of us can live by. All of us can practice and we, we can learn from. Here's the first one. You are not alone with your anxious thoughts. Sometimes people feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just all alone and, and, and I'm, just, I'm just so eaten up with anxiety and no one cares. God cares. In fact, not only does God care, he's giving you a promise of something you can do about it. He has answers and he can help. I want you to see a verse that Amazon says is the most highlighted verse in any e-Bible that they, that they track. You do know Amazon will track you, don't you? I know some of you are thinking, I can't live without Amazon coming to my house. I understand that, but if you highlight something in a Kindle, they'll track it. And this is the most highlighted verse in the Bible. And it's not John 3, 16. And it's not the 23rd Psalm. It's this one. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. For nothing. Aren't you glad God didn't say, hey, don't be anxious about the big things. 
Now, you can worry about the little things, but don't, don't, don't get anxious about the big things. God said, be anxious for nothing, big and small. We just dedicated some beautiful children. If, if, you, if you walked into your child's room, they're four years old, and they're, they're sitting there, and you're like, what's wrong, darling? And you're like, there's no fruity pebbles downstairs. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat tomorrow. And what if daddy loses his job? And what if we starve? And, and, and what if things are horrible? You know, as a good parent, you're not going to brush that off. You're going to look at them. You're going to hold them and go, no, no, no. No, you don't need to worry. It's going to be all right. We've got a heavenly father who's better than any earthly parent that ever existed. And he's looked at us and said, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, and by making your supplication is petition, making your petition, just like Jairus did. Lord, would you help me with this? Lord, could you, could you give me some help in this area? By doing that, he said, with thanksgiving. So we ask and then we thank him. He said, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be eaten up. with You know, worry just absolutely eats you. Corey ten Boom gave one of the greatest definitions of worry. She said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. Worry empties today of its strength. We trade in misery that hasn't even happened yet for misery today. It sucks all the joy out of life. And God said, you don't have to do that. You can, you can ask me for help. You can ask me to get involved. You can thank me because I love you and I have an answer for you. And then that peace can guard your heart and mind. Just when you think, oh, I'm going to be anxious again, you begin to think, no, 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 no. It's going to be all right. I've talked to God about this. It's going to be all right. And we stay with him. They did a study recently that said that 91% of everything people worry about never comes, never comes to pass. We've got so much projected onto the future, but 91% never comes to pass. So you're not alone. You can ask God for help. Now, if you've done this before and said, I've, I've tried this, and Alan, I tried this, it, did, it didn't work. Remember what we said, we're going to practice it till we get it right. We're going to practice it because God doesn't change and he's good. And that's a promise in his word. Second thing we need to realize is two things will boost stress in your life, and that's time delays and bad news. Time delays is when you prayed about something and it hasn't come to pass, and it goes on and on and on. And the tendency is to go, it's never going to happen. God didn't hear my prayer. And oftentimes that's when we quit. That's the time we don't need to quit. That's the time we need to lock in. I say, Lord, I'm going to stay with you. When bad news comes, that's the time we need to, to stay with him. The Bible uh, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible is writing to a group of people under a lot of pressure. And they were dealing with some severe situations. But the writer, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10. Don't cast away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He said, don't, don't cast away. Your, don't throw your confidence away. We need to stay connected. We need to stay connected to him. And as we do that and begin to practice these things, I don't tell you something, it's going to be all right. I want to give you something that's just very practical, but it's a, it's, a very, it's a very helpful thing in dealing with anxious thoughts, and all of us have had to deal with them. One of the things in dealing with anxious thoughts is you can't just say, okay, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to think anxious thoughts. So you can walk the floor going, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. You can wear the carpet down, but you're going to be anxious doing that. We need replacement thoughts. In other words, we need to begin to replace thoughts that have been plaguing us with other thoughts. Say, well, Alan, is that even scriptural? 
Actually, it is. In Philippians, remember we said six and seven were the most popular? They should have added this one. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there needs any virtue, that's excellence. And if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, when, when we hear meditate, sometimes we think of sitting quiet on the floor with our arms out like this. No, it's just basically saying meditate means to think intentionally. Think intentionally on these things. So we're going to think things. So in other words, when the thoughts just begin to come, they start to just coming at your mind like bees. You need some thoughts to go to. When the thoughts are, it's never going to get better. You're never going to do it. You don't have what it takes. You need a replacement thought. I got a great one. Philippians 4.13 said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When the thought comes, it says, you know what? Your whole family is cursed. They've been cursed. Your grandparents were cursed and your, your mother and father were cursed. You're living under the curse. You're just a, a cursed family. You need a replacement thought to that and a replacement thought that said, he has redeemed me, he has bought me out of the curse of the law and the blessings of God are on my life. I am the head and not the tail and above and not beneath. I am blessed, I am not going to be. You can't curse what God has blessed. So we need, but do you see where we need thoughts that replace? It's never going to happen. We can replace that with, with God, all things are possible. So we have different thoughts. You say, well, that, that just, you know, Alan, I can't help myself. And that's the thought you need to replace. I can't help myself. I can't help it. Now listen, if you've been thinking along a certain way for a long time, it's going to seem like you can't help it, but you can help it. You realize, of course, that you are, we are, every one of us is accountable for our actions, what we do. If I ran someone off the road because they got in my personal left lane and, and they slowed down and I took my vehicle and I rammed their vehicle and pushed them out of the way and into the median where they hit a ditch and I'm going to show up obviously in front of a, a judge. He's going to look at me, he's going to go, Mr. Clayton, why did you run that nice family in the minivan off the road with your car and into a ditch? And I'll look at him and go, your honor, I could not help myself. They got in my way. They slowed me down. And so I just rammed them with my car. I couldn't help myself. You do realize that if you try that defense, it's not going to hold up in court. The judge is not going to look at me and go, oh, you couldn't help yourself? <laughs> well, that explains everything. Not guilty. No, he's going to look at me and go, oh, Mr. Clayton, I'm going to give you a few days in the county jail to think about how you can help yourself the next time that happens. You're guilty. We're responsible. If we're responsible for our actions, then that means we can take responsibility for our thoughts. Now, I realize that's probably a new thought because people like to think, I can't help myself. You can help yourself. And by God's grace, you can begin to take these thoughts with replacement thoughts. And you begin to take, this is one of the reasons I'm big on reading scripture, because it gives me replacement thoughts for some of the negativism and the fear and the anxiety that plagues us. Thank God we can change that into something else. Replacement thoughts. If that's new to you, please don't throw it away. Because believing that we have authority over our own thoughts and our own mind is very, very important. We can control 
what we think about. Your mind is your mind, and you can control your thoughts. The last thing is this. If we stay with God, and we live for him, and we practice these things, it's going to do a couple of things for us. One, it may set us at odds against a world that is full of anxiety and fear. People will look at you and go, well, aren't you afraid? And if you go, no, no, I'm, I'm trusting God. They'll go, oh, you're trusting God. Oh, so God, and they may laugh. They may ridicule you. But let me tell you something. You just do what Jairus did. You stay with Jesus. You stay connected to him. You stay living for him. And what you will find yourself is you can rise above the anxiety and the anxious thoughts. God did not leave us to be victims of all the fear and anxiety that's in the world. We're his children. We are born overcomers. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we have the ability to rise above that anxiety and go, I am not yielding to this all my life. I don't care how many people in my family it is plagued. I'm going to walk free because I'm a child of God. And that's what God wants. And with... And with that kind of fight in you, you can overcome the anxiety. Joy and I, both of us dealt with, and I dealt with horrible panic attacks. She dealt with panic attacks. And we, we, so I know exactly what I'm talking about here. Panic attacks where I would just break out in cold sweats. Panic attacks that Joy had where she would just absolutely almost just, just curl up in a ball and not be able to do anything. You say, well, you obviously grew out of it. We didn't grow out of it. We got graced out of it because we found out that whom the Son has set free is free indeed, and we don't have to put up with this stuff in our life. And thank God it doesn't happen anymore. And living in anxiety and living out of anxiety, I'm telling you something, living out of anxiety is so much of a better way to live. And it's possible, not just for preachers, it's possible for all God's children. And uh, 19, excuse me, 2018, a lady by the name of Emily Clark did a Facebook post that went viral in Australia. And in this Facebook post, she had, uh, she was writing about, she's from Queensland, Australia, and she was going through a storm. She and her husband were in the car. They were going through, she said, the most severe storm they'd ever been through in their life. She said, it is absolutely just pouring rain. She said, water starting to lap on both sides of the highway. It's starting to cover the highway. She said, she was just so scared. And she, she was in the car. She said she, she realized it was too dangerous to even stop the car and get out to let her husband drive. They got passed by a, a, a semi-truck, 18-wheeler, who went past them. But then he moved over. And she looked at her husband. She said, do you think he's moving out of the way to help us? You think he's, you think he's trying to move this excess water off the road? Husband said, I don't know. Well, she tucked in behind him. It was raining so hard, she said she couldn't see anything but his brake lights. But this driver knew she was behind him, and he would brake regularly so she could keep up. He put on his blinkers when they were approaching a hazard. He was able to, he was able to move, and, just, and she just, man, she couldn't see anything, but she just stayed tucked in behind him, and he got her and her husband completely out of that storm, and finally they pull, he pulled off, and she pulled off with him. He pulled off into a pub. And she pulled off with him. Her husband got out and met the guy. He was a real sweet guy. His name was Footy. And Footy said, I could see more than you could. And I would only hope that if my family was stuck in that situation, that some trucker would do that for them as well. When I read that, I thought, hmm. 
we're followers of Christ. Jesus can see a whole lot further than we can. He can see what's up ahead. And in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the anxiety, in the middle of when it doesn't look like you know exactly what to do, thank God we can tuck in behind him and say, Lord, I am following you. You can get me through this storm. You can get me through this difficult time. And when it's over, because I know you have my best interest at heart because you were willing to die for me. Man, we follow someone that's so good. Someone that doesn't want you overburdened by anxiety. Someone that wants you free from anxious thoughts. And thank God you can be free. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? Please, no one leaving will be out of here in just, just a couple of minutes. If you are here today and you say, Alan, I've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life, but I want to do that. I'm just not sure if I have or not. I'm just uncertain. Or if you're here and you say, you know what? Or maybe you're watching online. You say, you know what? I, I've, I've done that, but I've gotten so far away from him. I know it and he knows it. I need to tuck back in. I need to reconnect. I need to stay with him. Heads are bowed, knives are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you I'm talking to and you want in on this prayer, would you slip your hand up across this auditorium and say, that's me? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, see you in the back. See you in the front. Gotcha. Anybody else say, that's me. Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Heads are bowed, knives are closed. No one's looking around. We're gonna say a prayer. Now listen, if you didn't raise your hand, you can still jump in. You're at home or, or you're watching somewhere online. You can say this prayer. If you're by yourself, say it out loud. If you're with others, say it quietly to yourself. We're gonna pray it with you as a church family. But maybe you didn't lift your hand and you really wanted to. You can pray this with us. I'm gonna lead you in it and you just join us as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Those heads are still bowed. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer who've stepped out of spiritual darkness into your spiritual light and for those who have come back home. We rejoice with them. You receive them. We receive them and are happy for them. And Father, for those who know you, who love you, who are connected to you, thank you that living with you is the strongest way to live. It's the freest way to live. Thank you that we can be free from the anxieties that have plagued us and that our future looks bright with you. We give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.